the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Hope you all enjoyed the uh, little string of team preview episodes that we've been putting out the last couple of weeks. Certainly enjoy making them and reconnecting with all the fine folks that contribute content to the CUSA journalist sphere. I don't know. What, what word would you describe that network we have there, Eric? You know, it's, it's actually a good question because I think it's a cross between like blogosphere slash journalistic sphere. Um, I know it's, it's totally created a word there on the fly. I guess the only reason I say that is because, you know, we each kind of do varying degrees of, of things. So, and that's not to say that one person does something more that's more important than the other, but you know, I, you may consider someone, you know, let's use like Steve Helwick, for example, who uh, Steve's been at practice like every day this week and, and uh, will be credentialed for Rice every single game, you know, maybe he might want a different title as opposed to, you know, um, someone else. So we're, we're all just trying to, we're content curators. How about that? I, I like that best. We're, we're just trying to put out good content for the people, giving the people what they want, Joe. I like that too. Content curators. That makes sense. So uh, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the content we've curated over the last couple of weeks pertaining to your team and I have a few more of those to pump out before the season starts. But uh, in between those, thought we'd uh, just get together and talk about some of the Conference USA news that's been going on the last couple of weeks and we haven't really been able to talk about in depth too much. So uh, welcome to today's episode where we're going to do exactly that. Uh, to start off with, some really bad news for uh, for Rice with wide receiver Aaron Cephas getting suspended indefinitely for uh, for this season after a violation of team rules. No specification on what that violation was. Um, good news for Rice, though. They still have their leading receiver for this year in uh, Austin Trammell. He's still on the roster, and um, thanks to Cephas not being able to play this year now, they're definitely going to need uh, Rhett Caldwell to step up and, and pick up Cephas's slack, it would seem, but really seems like a massive blow to this this Rice offense, who already we we had quite a few questions about. Yeah, you know, what did Glenn Hill say on this podcast when you had him on? Glenn Hill, the Rice beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, he said that one of the biggest things with Aaron is just, can he develop that consistency? Uh, little did we know some of that would entail being uh, off the field consistency as well as on the field consistency. Um, both of those you can now say are things he needs to work on, but I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. There's no denying just how talented of a playmaker this guy is. Uh, the year before last, I want to say he led uh, either FBS or definitely led Conference USA in receiving yards uh, per, or excuse me, um, yards per catch. Uh, he's a, just a big, you know, 6'5", 205, tall, lanky, um, can run, can jump, a former basketball player in high school as well. I want to say he was like a two or three star recruit as a basketball player as well. So you're talking about that kind of athlete. Um, but when you subtract him from the Rice offense, it's not necessarily that, you know, that was going to be the difference between them being a seven or eight or nine win team versus now being maybe a two or three win team. It's just that Mike Bloomgren's trying to get the rebuild process going here and you want to have the little things, you know, heading the right direction. One of those things would, you know, in theory be guys following a team rule. So it just kind of, Tough situation all the way around. I mean, there's no real, and just kind of spin it forward here, there's no real timetable on when he may or may not return. And uh, it might even be fair to question if he does return. Uh, his brother, Josh, uh, Josh Josephus, is a UTSA commit. 
So that might be something to take a look at in the future. And I, my memory serves me correct. Aaron is from the uh, Dallas area. I'll double check that real quick on the fly. Sorry, excuse me, he's from Houston. Okay, he's from the Houston area. But yeah, just all in all, uh, big loss with the offense, especially with the quarterback situation kind of being in flux there. And some guys have to step up. I mean, uh, there's there's plenty of young talent on the Rice offense, but I, you know, there's a reason I put the guy in my CUSA top 50 players list. I, I feel that he's the most dynamic player on the offense, and when he's when he is right, can be one of the most dynamic players in Conference USA. Unfortunately, we won't get to see him for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate for for Rice fans as well as the entire team. Um, just I'm curious. I know there's a uh, there's a Quintez Cephas at Wisconsin who was uh, suspended for the entire year due to some legal issues. There's no there's no relation there, is there? Like relation, like familiar. No. Right, right. Yeah, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I had to because I did see that too, and it's something I want to double check. But no, I, I don't believe that uh, there's relation uh, there. Okay, yeah, he's uh, he's a Georgia product, so that wouldn't make sense. Okay, no, I was just curious. But, um, yeah, like you mentioned, he's a legitimate deep threat just with the body type and the skill level he has. So, uh, like you mentioned as well, not the difference between Rice making a bowl game or uh, drastically exceeding expectations for this year, but still a valuable piece gone for them in the meantime. Uh, Another team in CUSA West losing a valuable piece is uh, UTEP with Quadrez Wadley, the senior running back. Uh, looks like he's going to miss the entire 2019 season due to a toe injury that's going to require some surgery. He, of course, was the Miners' leading rusher last season, so some bad news for them there. Uh, however, they get a little bit of good news in the last couple of weeks as well with the reinstatement of quarterback Kai Loxley. Um, if you don't remember, he was the one who um, ran into some legal issues when he got arrested for uh, some weapons charges and a DUI. So that legal process is still ongoing. But in the meantime, uh, Dana Demmels uh, clearly trusts this guy enough to kind of come back into the fold. But um, so kind of a, a, a trade off for the minor offense, which, uh, you know, we'll see if that that kind of creates more problems down the line, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some criticism of the move on social media saying that, you know, Dana Dimmel was desperate, and this kind of shows the state of the UTEP program. I am not going to be so quick as to jump that conclusion. The charges did sound severe uh, when they first came out. It was, you know, uh, some terroristic threats and things of that nature. But uh, and I should have, you know, run this by you ahead of time, Joe. So my apologies for throwing it at you on the fly. But I don't know if you happen to see the story with the uh, Georgia Southern quarterback who was uh, taken in on suspicion of cocaine and turned out to be a bird crap. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, uh, flippant about it, but I'm just saying that on the surface, you know, charges may seem severe, and then you get more facts and uh, things evolve from there. So I don't necessarily think it's fair just to say, all right, well, clearly they're desperate, uh, hence why they're bringing them back. And just to be completely blunt, you know, while I am a Kyle Loxley fan, those of you who listen to this podcast throughout the past 13 months you know, should know I'm a fan of his game. Uh, it wasn't exactly like he was, you know, lighting the world on fire on the field last season. So um, I, I think it's it's more of a wait and see type deal, in my opinion. But, um, you know, I mean, we'll have to let the process play itself out if there is still a process to play itself out. And as far as uh, Mr. Loxley's concerned. He was a name that we all were looking forward to see this year, see if he can kind of take that next step. But we all know how talented he is, and he's you know been a, 
around in his crossbow ball journey, but we'll have to see if on the field he can make that next step and kind of turn, uh, help turn UTEP into a winner. But yeah, I mean, as, as far as the charges and things of that nature, it's a wait and see thing. I'm not going to just jump to a conclusions. And I think I give a pretty good example with the Georgia Southern quarterback. So. Yeah, two things. One, the, the Georgia Southern situation, when I read that story, it sounded like a deleted scene from like Pulp Fiction or something. Um, second, with Quadres Wadley and his injury, um, certainly a significant loss for them in that department as well with, uh, you know, I believe he was on the DOAC watch list for this year too. So who do they have in, in the bank to pick up his slack, so to speak? <laughs> I, you know, I, I remember writing about this when, when talking about, you know, kind of X factors for each team. And I felt it was unfair to turn to Mr. Dion Hankins and say, you know, you're an X factor being a true freshman, but uh, it, 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 the future is now for UTEP. Um, he, the, the Parkland High School, El Paso, Texas native. We're talking about a guy who finished his high school career with, uh, my memory serves me correct, over 7,000 rushing yards and something like 75, 78 rushing touchdowns. Uh, it's his time. I mean, he had been impressing from what, what I've been reading in camp anyhow. Uh, he is a three-star recruit, very talented guy. It, it didn't look like he was going to get on the field anyhow. But now that uh, Quadras Wadley is you know, out, for, out for the foreseeable future, if not the entire season, I think it just makes the most sense to turn to him now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm going to need the uh, true freshman to step up. And uh, like you mentioned, the future is now for that program. So hopefully he's ready for his moment. And uh, another young guy who we were hoping to see a little bit more of, but looks like we're going to have to wait for about a year or so with uh, Charlotte wide receiver Rico Arnold. He's a rising sophomore, but he's going to require some foot surgery. I believe he was the team's uh, third leading receiver last year, which um, obviously the team had some bigger weapons, of course, with, with Benny LeMay in the backfield. That certainly helps their case, but a little bit of a bummer for a program that was uh, looking for a big bounce back of a new coach this year. Yeah, you know, he was a guy who I was kind of expecting some things from as well, just because, you know, he actually was a three-star recruit in his own right out of Atlanta. Uh, Victor Tucker was actually the more lightly recruited player coming out of uh, Carroll City down in Miami in South Florida. But, yeah, I mean, if my, and I'm just going off the top of my head here. I should have looked this up on, uh, on the fly, so I apologize. Uh, once he had something like 17 or 18 catches for uh, just shy of 300 yards last year, I had a chance to see him when I saw Charlotte play in person. He's definitely a talented guy. Um, you just kind of hit the nail on the head there again. You know, the Niners, they need all the pieces that they can get in terms of competing for a bowl game this year. And Will Healy, he was a guy uh, in terms of Arnold and Tucker. Uh, he really raved about just how talented he thought he had two guys on the outside that could really get the ball to and make some plays. So we'll see what happens there. Um, once again, I don't necessarily think it's the biggest loss because Victor Tucker really – Stepped up, you know, a guy had almost 800 receiving yards last year. This left Benny LeMay in the backfield. Uh, Brett Keen, from what I've been reading, took most of the first team stat, first team snaps, excuse me, uh, in the uh, spring game and, and in the scrimmages. So um, it, it looks like they may have the quarterback situation worked out. And the defense obviously is very talented with guys like Ben DeLuca and Alex Highsmith. So we'll see what happens. Once again, I, I don't want to say it's the biggest loss, but it's, he definitely was a guy who – Charlotte was looking forward to having this year and maybe contributing uh, more so than he did last season in terms of the receiving game. Absolutely. And, you know, the more we talk about this Charlotte team and how they're growing and you talk about all these good young players developing, they're growing on me. I know I haven't been the most optimistic about their, their chances to, you know, 
become a winning program, so to speak. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm slowly coming around. But obviously, their their chances hurt a little bit with uh, the injury to Mr. Arnold there. Uh, and now here's a, a portion of the show we like to call Eric basically talks about FIU for the next 15 minutes or so, which I'm not too mad about. We just happen to have three stories here that uh, relate to the Panthers and, uh, you know, could mean some uh, some big things for them and uh, some big storylines throughout the uh, throughout the league in the next six months or so. But uh, first one, FIU and uh, your alma mater, Eric, UCF, scheduling a home-and-home in 2020 and 2022. Uh, Correct if I'm wrong, I think the first game is going to be at UCF in 2020. Um, But personally, I really like this move for the Panthers and UCF, frankly, because I think in order to kind of, you know, grow your footprint, you got to punch up a little bit, which in this instance the Panthers are doing and for UCF I think it makes sense too just because like you want to obviously keep growing your brand within the state of Florida just because like as we've talked about a few times there are those there's the big three that you got to compete with in uh, Florida Florida State and Miami and I think just having you know this on their schedule helps their cause a little bit yeah, it's kind of a two-sided argument, Joe. You know, I went on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Of course, they're a podcast within our SB Nation family to talk about uh, the FIU side of things for the UCF um, contingency. And when the move was first announced, of course, you know, UCF Twitter wasn't exactly thrilled because I don't think that's the home and home that they were looking for as far as uh, trying to get into the college football playoff race. However, all the points that you made are the ones that I've made in terms of maybe it's not necessarily expanding your footprint within the state of Florida. I mean, UCF, a lot of people don't realize that UCF is the biggest school in terms of enrollment in the state of Florida. And and there are a lot of nights throughout the state uh, in terms of graduates and alumni and things of that nature. But just in terms of, look, it, it was, it was academic. If you couldn't get, there were only a handful of P5 teams who were available, and if you couldn't get those, why not schedule FIU? Both teams had an opening, and quite frankly, I think this game come 2020 and come 2022 will be a really good game on your schedule. I mean, if the alternative is getting nothing at all or scheduling an FCS, I don't see why you don't do it. Not to flip it around to the FIU side of things, as this is the CUSA podcast, you couldn't ask for a better opponent. I mean, you're talking about the cream of the crop in terms of G5 football, not only in the state of Florida, but in the entire nation over the past two seasons. And Butch Davis, he's talked to us many times within uh, press conferences and and press scrums after practice. He's always said, hey, I'd much rather play University of Miami or, you know, a a tough team, Indiana, just think of teams that they played, as opposed to playing Arkansas Pine Bluff. He really wants to know what this program is made of. And it's just a great move. It's a game that, you know, their fans can travel. Um, you know, attendance has been an, uh, an issue, as we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. So at least it's a game that their fans can make it to. And and, it's, and I think FIU playing a lot of games in-state, they already have, you know, the built-in game with FAU uh, each, you know, every other year. That's a road game, so it gives them another game in-state. So I think that's a good thing. And just lastly, you know, I, I hope this doesn't come across as biased here because I cover the team, but I think that this is going to be a much better game than – most people realize in 2020 it's just you know FIU made a major pickup and was in the past uh, week or so when that I was able to report on and and I just think that the trajectory for the FIU program is one that I'm not saying they'll be UCF overnight but you know there are a lot of people who think that 
business scheduling down. And I don't necessarily look at it that way. I just think it's more so kind of scheduling what you have to schedule. Um, so for both sides, I think it's a win-win, and we'll see how it plays out. And you are correct. That 2020 game uh, will be at Spectrum Stadium, which I actually found interesting because the last matchup was uh, in 2017 was at Spectrum Spectrum Stadium. So I kind of assumed that those matches would be flipped, that the 2020 game might be at Ricardo Silva Stadium. But, um, yeah, 2020 will be at UCF and 2022 will be in Sweetwater. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on the fact that, like, FIU's a program on the rise. So I think this is this is going to be a better game than people realize in 2020. If, you know, give Butch Davis a whole another year to develop this team and recruit the way he has been, it's going to be super entertaining. Um, player that, uh, well, a player that, uh, could, I guess, technically still be there in, in 2020 is, uh, JJ Hallman, the ex Georgia wide receiver who just found a home with the Panthers after being dismissed from Georgia earlier this year. Um, when he was at Georgia really just looks like a phenomenal player, uh, as a sophomore in 2018 played in 11 games, 24 catches, 418 yards, five touchdowns. Averaged 17.4 yards catch. And just look up YouTube highlights of this guy and you'll see why he was an SEC level talent. Uh, apparently some, it was some assault charges that resulted in him being dismissed from that program. But it, it certainly makes sense for him to land at FIU given like, it seems like the one thing that FIU could use more of was a little bit of receiving help. And I think they definitely have it in a big way with this guy. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll start with the off the field stuff that you kind of touched on. Um, he was dismissed, as you mentioned from the university of Georgia for, um, and, and assault investigation. Uh, those of you who are listening to this podcast can kind of look up the police report and get the details there. Um, wasn't charged, but it, you know, there was a, reason for his dismissal once again i can let you guys look that up um what fiu is getting i mean i i'm not trying to be hyperbolic when i say this but they're getting a premier p5 talent and a guy who when he steps on the field next year probably be a top two three receiver in conference usa without having played it down um you kind of talked about looking up his youtube highlights the type of athlete that he is joe um I'm of the belief that, you know, Conference USA, and we had this conversation on previous podcasts, you know, that the level of talent at certain skill positions isn't too far off from some, maybe some of the power five leagues, maybe the American. Um, but with that being said, JJ Holloman, uh, his, you know, level of athleticism is just off the charts. The guy's already practicing with the team and he's making plays already in practice. Um, he started practice team Saturday. It just looks I don't want to just dismiss, you know, the Panthers, uh, but JJ really looks like he's a man amongst boys, just in terms of his physical body type, 6'2", 215 pounds, the the speed within that frame. Um, I guess a Conference USA comparison would be he looks like Tyree Brady, except he's way more athletic than Tyree Brady. So, um, yeah, as far as FIU and what that does for them. He won't be eligible this year. He'll have to take the field in 2020. Um, receiving help, I just it's just kind of astounding because, once again, you get a, a level of talent like J.J. Holman, he has the potential to be a one-and-done guy at Conference USA, um, all things considered, if he stays on the straight and narrow. Yeah, the uh, Panthers get a little gift from the football gods, so to speak, there. 
Um, so not eligible till 2020, like you mentioned. Uh, that's kind of how the the transfer rules, as they are uh, as they are now, work. But you know, we'll see how that changes down the line within the NCAA. But subject of another podcast. Um, with FIU, one more Panther related story there. And uh, you mentioned the attendance problems that this program's having in the last couple of years. One thing that they are looking to do to combat that uh, has to do with the FIU Miami game. Uh, if you're an FIU student, what they're doing is if you attend any three of the first six Panther home games, you will receive a free ticket to the Miami game at Marlins Park. Um, and I guess the reasoning for this, uh, since the Panther Hurricane game is a sold out event and seats will be limited, uh, not only for students, but for fans as well. So that's kind of the reasoning for it. Um, personally, I, I, this is not something I don't think I've seen before. I don't think I've seen something like this in my, you know, few years working in, in sports here, but I, I think it's certainly cool. Um, it's one way to reward students. Obviously that Miami game is a premier event, especially with it being at, at Marlins park and everything. Um, but I, I guess it's, I guess I'm a little confused as to why it's you attend any three of those first six games and you get rewarded with this. I, I think it's cool. It's just, I don't fully understand why, why they're doing it the way they're doing it. Does that make sense? Let me ask you this. You're sure. saying you're not sure as to why it's three. Um, can you expound on that a little bit? Because I, I have a, a theory, but I just want to make sure I'm understanding your um, confusion correctly. It just, I guess it just seems like a low threshold to have to hit to get this. You know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like it's a pretty, I feel like it's a pretty easy thing to do in order to get, you know, this, this ticket to a game that's sold out and, you know, could potentially be a, a huge moment for the, for the school if the Panthers pull through or just if you get the ticket and then potentially sell it, you know what I mean? I feel like it's, it's a little, it's a little tricky there. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you were going in the direction that I thought you were going. So I just wanted to, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, you would think that that would be a low threshold and you would think that that would be very easy. However, uh, when we finish up here, I will send you some pictures of FIU crowd shots. <laughs> it, it hasn't been very easy to get student support. This isn't something that you and I have talked about on the podcast. I don't want to make it the FIU podcast, but really quick, there was some conflict between the university itself and the Greek life, which affected the location of tailgate and what you could and could not bring to tailgate. And as a result, that led to the student section being 200 people, give or take, on a Saturday evening. I'm not saying this in a condescending way to bash FIU fans. I think FIU athletics is essentially pleading with students to say, hey, come out. Um, I've made this point that it's South Florida. Places don't close till 5 a.m., if at all. So you can still go to the football game and then get back home and pregame for your Saturday night out. Um, that is kind of the nut, you know, the nuts and bolts of this promotion and why it's three, because they've had trouble getting people through the turnstiles. And, and it, once again, you know, I'm not trying to bash um, FIU fans. It's just a matter of attendance really has been an issue. The, the most glaring example that I have is, the Marshall game last year, which they could have clinched a division championship uh, and play in the Conference USA title game, they, they're probably, that was a Saturday afternoon game, uh, noon start, 
there were probably, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, 3,000 people at the game, and that's being generous. Yeah, it seems like it would be a kind of a tough sell just given the the market and everything. But again, this this team's getting getting to the point where they are they could be considered one of the better uh, teams in in G five right now. Honestly, with uh, the way that they made a run at at the conference title and just uh, just kind of fell short a little bit there. Um, but even so, I, I think it's a little bit of a it's a low threshold just because like you could very easily get your ticket scanned and leave you know what i mean if you were if you were that petty about it i don't think a lot of people would really go to the trouble of like getting to the game and doing that but given because i'm not really sure where the the football stadium is in regards to campus anyway but yeah it, it's definitely an interesting thing and I'm, I'm curious to see how this pans out um is there any safeguard that we know of to kind of prevent students from like selling their football tickets to you know anybody off the street just curious i can tell you yeah, I can tell you this right now. There isn't one in effect. However, I'd be willing to bet by the time that game rolls around, there will be something in place to make sure that, you know, people aren't just hawking the ticket for cash, especially, you know, once again, this is South Florida. The Hurricanes, you know, they've for years supposedly been, you know, back or on the way back to national relevance. We'll see what happens this season. if. Miami starts out, you know, eight and zero, nine and zero, or nine and one, something to that effect. That's going to be a really hot ticket on South Florida, especially given the fact of you know the the situation between both fan bases. So I can guarantee you something probably will be in place. I don't think there is now. Uh, I, I am actually more curious as to if they'll have something in place as to what you mentioned earlier before that, which is fans just walking through the turnstile and then heading out, which is not the most difficult thing to do at Ricardo Silva Stadium. Uh, so, yeah, that, I think that would be something to keep your eye on as well. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that rolls around and uh, or comes to fruition, rather, in the next few weeks as uh, football season gets underway. It's only a few weeks away at this point. And uh, to start wrapping up the show, one more topic that we wanted to cover. It looks like Old Dominion is going to have a DJ in their student section this year to kind of add to the atmosphere within the new stadium there. Um, I kind of like this move. I, they're definitely not the first program to do it. I think it definitely adds a little bit to, you know, the overall game atmosphere, like I mentioned. Um, Louisville, I know, had one, uh, not specifically in the student section, but in uh, within the stadium for football and, and basketball games. And I, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I think this is kind of a cool move and it's definitely, you know, um, I think it's a good selling point for home games. Not that old dominions kind of had, uh, had the worst attendance issues when it comes to, you know, comparative <laughs> comparatively to other programs within the conference, like we just got done talking about. Um, but yeah, I think this is a cool little way to get more people in there and create more of a, you know, turn games into more of a more of a party which i think is what everybody's trying to trying to shoot for nowadays couldn't agree more joe absolutely love this idea the game that comes to mind for me as a student was 2013 in bright house network stadium ucf versus south carolina that's a nationally televised game that started at 11 30 uh this is you're talking about the jadevian clowny um led south carolina gamecocks coming to town and one of the things that was really tough was that because it was an 11:30 start and it was at the time probably the biggest game in UCF history. I believe that was 
yeah, that actually was directly coming off of the Louisville game, the one that you and I uh, talked about a couple of weeks ago, the uh, the one that UCF came back and won. Um, so it was the biggest game in school history at the time. And everyone had stayed up the night before partying and was just like, yeah, we'll just party all the way through and then just, you know, uh, get a Red Bull and go to the game. And what I remember the most is the downtime between commercials, because it was a nationally televised game, that kind of took the energy out of the stadium, especially UCF got off to a quick start that game. And every time there was a timeout or an injury or, you know, just commercial, um, the student section was just kind of dead because it was like, oh, man, we spent the entire night before partying. So the fact that you have like a DJ in there to kind of keep the energy going, you know, we didn't care about the, you know, 75-year-old donor who was getting some award on the field. We don't. We probably should have cared. We probably paid for the library, but uh, uh, didn't appeal to us. So if you can keep something and just kind of keep the energy going, I think it's great. So I'm I'm all in on on a DJ. Uh, FIU actually does something similar. Uh, they don't have one directly in the student section, but they have one uh, during pre games and during uh, timeouts as well. So I think it's a good idea. Eric, if you were a DJ, what would your DJ name be? <laughs> DJ Easy E. Come on, man. That's, that's academic. <laughs> Easy E. Can you just take it from one that already existed? Is that how it works? I mean, my name is Eric, so like I, I can't just. Uh, you know, maybe I can modify it a little bit, but I mean, like, I feel like I have claim just uh, enough. I have just as much claim to Easy E as any other Easy E before me. I guess so. I guess you're right. <laughs> I uh, I guess I never saw it that way. Um, nice. Okay, we got a uh, we got old uh, copyright Joe over here. I, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were such a stickler for those things. Sorry, I can't help it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's. I, I, every t- ever since I started making stuff on the internet, I'm always like constantly in fear of like an, some unknown copyright laws that I don't know. Cause like they're, you know, people, people enforce that stuff, man. Like I, I think it's with like with YouTube, it's like three strikes and you get your whole channel deleted. And I know I like, I've seen, you know, even people within like our world of sports blogs, like if you use something that's like, weirdly copyrighted like photos and that kind of thing like they come after you which is i mean understandable because like don't take someone else's work without asking obviously but like i've seen people like do you know use photos where use photos and stuff like on accident and that's that's uh that's a that's a bad thing for for everybody involved but yeah well while we're on while we're on the topic so really quick i mean i guess we'll just you know spare an extra two minutes here uh you're of the age, you know this. Do you remember LimeWire and Kazaa and all those things? I do, and I think I think you you told me your story. About- did, 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 did I tell you story? Okay, all right. Yeah. I just I just want to make sure if I had it. Okay, all right. I don't know. We, you, you know, you run- Go ahead. I don't know. Put it on air, but I think you 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 definitely told me that story before. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't remember if it was on air. Uh, if, if it was, apologize to people listening. I'll make it ten seconds. Um all those people who are getting caught downloading music and you're like, you never meet someone who actually got caught and got fined. Well, you've met someone now. So uh, pay attention to copyright law folks, because it's real and people will come for you. And by people, I mean the government. <laughs> the more, you know, you can't see it cause it's a podcast, but a little rainbow just flew over my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hope this has been an equally entertaining and educational episode of the conference USA underdog podcast for you. Uh, keep coming back every week for more new episodes as we talk about uh, the 2019 season and uh, hopefully preview the rest of the league before we hit Labor Day weekend. 
Um, thank you once again for listening, everybody. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. If you have time, really helps us grow. Uh, check us out on Spotify and Google Play and all the other podcasting platforms. Um, if iTunes is not your preferred method of listening, you and like three other people at this point, but that's okay. Um, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like them on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Um, keep, uh, keep coming back. Like I said, we'll have more good football stuff for you. Happy football watching, everybody.